As a sales manager, you are judged by the performance of your team and you're praised when they do well. But one thing that you've not been able to figure out is how to get everyone on your team consistently hitting quota every single month. On the Snack Size Sales Podcast, we discuss the science of selling STEM. Sales leadership in the science, technology, engineering, and manufacturing fields is difficult. You will learn from sales managers just like you that will give you actionable insights and tips on how to develop as a leader and achieve your revenue targets every single month. So pop your headphones in and get ready to listen to my guests today. They will give you information and inspiration to ensure that you have actionable insights that you can put into place today. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Science of Selling STEM. Today, I am so delighted to have Brent Keltner with Winalytics here. How are you, Brent? I'm doing well, Wesley, and I'm really excited for the conversation. I am too. Let me tell you a little bit about Brent. Brent Keltner is a PhD and the founder and president of Winalytics, a go-to-market and revenue acceleration consultancy. They help their clients reach top revenue growth by shifting from product-driven selling to focusing on an authentic and buyer and customer journey. Authenticity wins when you anchor each buyer or customer conversations on how they define value you will grow faster. Before starting Winalytics, he spent more than a decade as a revenue leader in enterprise to early stage companies, including Kaplan Eduventures, Plus Delta Partners, and College Link. He began his career as a PhD social scientist and spent 10 years conducting qualitative research interviews at Stanford University. He lives in Boston with his wife, at son and daughter. They are active members of Park Street Church and Boston Trinity Academy. Wow, you're not doing a few things. You have a PhD, <laughs> you had many companies, you have two kids and a wife. So tell me, how did you start your career and how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, let's start at the end point and then we'll walk in chases back. I mean, we I think of myself as a go-to-market and revenue acceleration leader. I love selling. Mm. Selling in the modern buyer-centric market, if you're thinking about selling outside of the buyer journey, you're thinking about the wrong thing because sales as a standalone profession is broken. Yeah. Salespeople need to be guides. They need to be trusted advisors. That starts on the website, starts in prospecting, sales continues it, continues in the expansion motion. So I say that because I ran qualitative research projects. And I got really good at doing what we now call authentic conversations. Mm-hmm. Wasn't about me. Wasn't about my research project. It was all about is what's in it for you, Mr. or Mrs. Bank executive, telecom executive, insurance executive. What are you going to get out of the interview? What are the peers we're working with that you're going to be able to learn from? I got really good at that. Made me good at qualitative research, maybe good at selling. I transitioned to the dark side, as academics called, to the from the academy to Kaplan and then a bunch of other companies. What I found out is running authentic conversations was not the way people were trained to sell. Mm. People in my teams at Kaplan and Edge Ventures were trained to product sell. They were trained to drag their buyers through their pain, pitch their product, handle objections, and close them down. And it's like, where is the partnership in that? Where's the buyer success in that? 
So I trained my teams how to run authentic conversations, and it was fantastically successful. Had four quick growth successes, started consulting on it. We've had a successful consulting business for seven years, which is all about every phase of the buyer and customer journey. Start with your buyer why, and then your customer why. Come back to how you can make them more successful. You will grow faster. You will have better buyer and customer relationships. You will like your work more. You will learn every day. So we have a whole lot to talk about here because your vision of conversations with buyers is so aligned with mine. I often say, stop vomiting product knowledge on your (laughs) uh, buyers, like, and they don't care about you. So I'm really curious about this authenticity because a lot of people are throwing this word around now. Oh, I'm authentic this or be authentic that. Like, how do you really define those authentic conversations that you're having with buyers? Yeah, to me, I'm an authentic conversation is just intentionally focus on do we have a fit or not? Do you and I, and look, you can have authentic conversations in a personal relationship. Is our relationship going in a direction we both want it to go, right? So it's really about being, working on alignment. It's about not you and I, it's about we and what are we doing together. So for us, a good authentic conversation just has three parts, business, personal. You start by just agreeing, are we talking about something we both care about? Because if I don't know what you care about, then I'm vomiting at you, right? Whether it's in my business life or personal life. And once I know what you care about, uh, good karma, personal respect is focus on that. Share the elements of your product, share the elements of your customer stories that align to what you care about. And then the third part is see if you care. Did I deepen your sense of fit with me? And if so, what will you do about it next? So let's agree what we're talking about. Let's work towards deeper alignment or not. And then let's agree to what on both sides we will do. And if you have conversations like that, you'll have more great conversations every day. Not good conversations, but great conversations that lift you out of your day and you together are imagining a better future that you're actively working towards. Mm, That's so good. Really Mm. thinking about, and when I listen to you, one thing that really draws me to why this is so important is you're talking about us and listening and actually walking along that buyer's journey. So you started your career doing market research and many people don't even actually understand what market research is. Help us talk to the audience about what you did specifically in that world and how it helped you doing your work as you're doing now. Yeah, so I did um, qualitative research and it was more uh, looking at human capital strategies. How are people investing in their people to then drive business growth? But it's related to qualitative research. You can do it a market research phase when you're interviewing customers. What I found, what I learned quickly is if you had a structured set of questions, six to eight, that you went through in every conversation, you could see the patterns quicker, mm. right? Because you, and, and look, it doesn't mean there are not some, every conversation is going to go a slightly different question way. But if you have those questions, you commit to asking in every conversation, you see the patterns quicker. If you go to a sales conversation and you sort of commit to a structure where I'm going to start with some discovery on your why, 
going to ask three or four questions and then I'm going to share more on me, but I'm going to stop and ask you where you're seeing the most value. And then at the end, I'm going to ask, what are you willing to do about it? Right? So as I became a revenue leader, I used that same structure to like, what is a good first call? Mm. Let's just commit to asking six or eight common questions. So we know how good that call was at the end and for good market researchers. And I listened to an awesome podcast about a woman who drives growth by doing customer stories. So if you want to capture your customer stories, don't just go and show up with a bunch of random questions, right? Ask six or eight questions around what you think is your value. I mean, start with an open-ended question. Where are you getting the most value out of this relationship? Are there any things we could improve and do better because that's always just ask them. But then you probably have three questions around specific things you know you do well, specific gaps that you help companies solve, process or capabilities. You don't ask those every time and get a range of response. So that more, in, as you said, just a little bit more thoughtful, just being more intentional, taking five, 10% of our time to prep and reflect, we do better. You know, one of the the key things that I, when I'm working with sales teams, I tell them, hey, have your new salespeople do, I call them win-loss reports. Like they're the new kid on the block. Give them five questions to ask the deals that were won and the deals that were lost in their territory or just have them pull random ones. Because like you said, it's like hearing the voice of the customer, getting that story and understanding. And as a brand new salesperson, that's the best way to learn, hey, this is what we do really well. This is what we don't do well. I don't want to stay in that mud. I love that. I was on a call today uh, with a guy named Austin Kenny, who's the CRO at a company called ETU, which does immersive uh, simulations for uh, training different type of skills. I had never heard this before, but they start their onboarding with customer use cases and stories. Mm. Really powerful. You just said the same thing is don't start with your product. Start with your customer stories and then come to how your product helps with those. Um, it shifts from what we talked about. When you start with customer stories, it shifts from you and I to we as peers that are working on a common problem we're both trying to solve. So I love that idea of new sellers. Do a win-loss report. Absolutely. Actually really know why they bought or why they didn't buy. Exactly. And the crazy thing is, it's <clears throat> when we use this voice of customer, when we stop talking so much and actually listen <laughs> to the buyers, mm -hmm. it gives us mm -hmm. so much insight. I was actually on a call today and when I'm walking through or I'm delivering a proposal, I always ask for agreement. Do I have this right? And they were like, actually, no, you don't have it right. This is what the challenge that we're going through is. And so it helped me shift my trajectory to ensure I was meeting the customer where they are because they weren't here. They weren't all the way up here. They were still down at the baseline level. And I love that you said that you did that with the proposal because people often forget, honestly, and you know this, every single conversation, things change. New players get involved. So once you think you know your buyer's why, start the next conversation. Do you still know the buyer's why or have things changed? Or can they go deeper? Can they help you quantify or they can help you tell you more about why that would make them more successful? And then before you get to a proposal, have them confirm it. Put it at the top of the proposal. Why are they talking about working with you? Exactly. And you know, the crazy thing is the meeting was scheduled and the person emailed and they said, I thought you said you were going to send me the proposal so we can review it for, before our meeting. I said, we don't send proposals. <laughs> we present proposals. Why? 
exactly what you said. Mm. Because if you send somebody a proposal, you're putting the onus on your buyer to interpret it the way that they want to interpret it. You can't tell them the story around it. You can't give them the why and help them remember you came to me with this problem and this problem, and this is the solution to fix it. That's right. So you mentioned that you were a, a revenue officer at a company. So tell me as a revenue officer, how did you really ensure that you got all of the players on the team, the sales team, marketing team, COO? How did you get everyone in alignment in that role? Yeah, I mean, now we call them value plays and content pathways around your value plays. But I think what I realized early on in success stories are your most important type of content. But there are others, I mean, blog posts and, you know, white papers that we write or even webinars. And I think what I realized early on, and we now do consulting around this, is you got to get cross go-to-market team alignment on those value plays, right? So let's take a example of a company called Aginity that I just got a, a nice email from Chris Code, who's their VP of customer development, and they have a SQL analytics platform that now allows you to manage from the same SQL code base across an entire enterprise, right? So people can have their versions, but then share it to a saved library. So analytics at scale now becomes a lot more doable. And so they were selling that, right? Is They were selling kind of features of, hey, wouldn't you like to have a code library? And wouldn't you like to... Um, you know, be able to share that code, et cetera. And then they sort of realize if we roll up, what's the problem that solves? Well, for a manager, an analytics manager, it makes their team 30% more productive, right? And they had stats on that. They can do the same amount of coding 30% more time. They roll up to the chief development officer level or data officer or whatever, IT, they not only make the whole enterprise 30% more productive, but they can get to business insights a lot quicker, supply chain insights or whatever it is, warehousing. So as they built their value plays, okay, now what are our best stories around each? Mm. What are our best insight blogs around each? And so now thinking not content as an individual asset, but content tells a story about how we help with that buyer why. Mm. So what I found is if you just got good at aligning your content to different buyer whys that you helped with, that could align your go-to-market team from marketing to sales to customer success through to your product is building value plays with content aligned to each. Much easier for people to understand, are we all talking about the same thing? So how do you shift from being so focused on your product to really thinking about those value plays, the, the whys that your customer, like the reason behind it? What is that paradigm shift that people need to go through to get there? So technically, you already described it, right? As you start with your win-loss analysis, you start with your customer voice, you start with your customer stories, because when you tell customer stories, it's not only not you and I, but us, peers, but it also shifts, right? It's like you talk about your product, how did one of your customers use your product? It now very quickly becomes about an outcome. Similar with a win-loss analysis, it very quickly becomes, did it help with an outcome or not? Mm. Somebody else, so shift to thinking about not your product, but a story around how a customer used your product. That's the easiest way to do it. But there's a bigger mindset problem is what I'm coming deeper and deeper to understand. We like talking about ourselves, right? We like talking about ourselves. People get uncomfortable with uncertainty. You know, our brains are often wired to hear confirmation, not to learn, right? Not to go into it saying, hey, I need to ask questions 
understand and get to a conclusion before. So you need to commit leadership and then as a team to, I don't know. I got to get the answer out of the conversation. And that means I got to shift to a learner mindset, not a knowing mindset, but a learner mindset. Every conversation, I'm probably going to need to learn new things about my buyers and prospects. And I need to commit to that and build that behavior. And I'll stop for some questions before I keep going on this topic because it's a big one. You know, when I, what I kind of equivocate that to is a lot of times when a salesperson or even a sales manager, they show up to a meeting with their list of questions and they're like, these are all the five things that I want to know. And I always tell people I'm radical. I do nothing like the books they do. When you go to a discovery call, you have one question and that is your opening question. And this actually comes from um, Deb Calvert. She calls it the command question. You have one strong question you open your discovery with, open the meeting with, and you listen, you focus on the person, right? And listen to what they're saying. And when you listen to what they're saying and you get in their world, they're more willing to go on that journey with you. Because like you said, it's hard to change. It's like hardwired in us to think about ourselves, to do what we wanna do. But if you step into that buyer's world, that's when those wheels start turning. Yeah, I love that. And I assume in this, um, your command question, you listen, and then probably do a little bit of recapping and then ask more questions. Absolutely. It's just like I do my yeah. podcast. Anyone who's ever been on this podcast, <laughs> some podcasts give you a list of questions. I used to do that because that's what, you know, they yeah. teach you to do. Yeah, you send the questions. You do. But I don't do that because like every single person, their story is so interesting and I want to learn about them. I don't want it to be self-serving and only ask you a prescribed question. So I literally ask that one question. I start with the same question every time, guys. You know it. Tell me about your journey. And based on the journey, I'm asking you questions. Yep. So I love that. And I, I think what's most important in what you said is our whole goal is to get into our buyer's world and understand their why for the call. We often think about and understand the goal of discovery is to get to a buyer success statement. How could we make them more successful and seeing that future together? And you can do that with one question and then follow on questions. But at the end of the day, they have to be excited about doing something with us or it's going to go absolutely nowhere. Absolutely. Building a learner mindset is not an individual pursuit mm. because we individually, you know, you and I have a certain disposition and have practiced these skills over and over again. I can be pulled into product pitching. It's hard. I do do it sometimes, but I've built that mindset for years and years and years and years and years. A lot of new teams, when you think about making this shift, if you think individually, it's not going to happen. What you need to do is we also encourage you get into a team-based mindset where you're coming together as a team every two weeks and you're asking questions about your buyer and your use cases, your success stories could be sharing deals, but you're intentionally saying we need to learn from each other because the market out there is so challenging that we need to learn about a buyer's quicker. And we actually encourage an off week where you have coaching with individually in pairs with a peer or your, your manager and then a team call. So it's 3% of your time. 3% of your time a week is basically like I'm going to be an active learner. The other awesome thing about this ETU call is that biweekly call their CEO joins. Austin Kenny sets it, but their CEO joins to basically says, it's important that you all show up to be active learners. And it's that kind of commitment that puts companies on a different growth trajectory. 
what we hear way too often is, oh, we have experienced salespeople. And I say, that means they're good at product pitching because your experience is backward looking. Forward looking is how do I get better at selling to each buyer? And I can only learn that from my buyers and my peers. Mm. So I, I, you just wanted to scratch this little nugget that you know I would love <laughs> to talk about <laughs> is that no matter the initiative that your company is going after or trying to implement, whether it's sales training, Google ad, whatever it is, if leadership is not involved and invested, it's never going to work. And so a lot of times what we see is I say companies are throwing money at the problem. They're like, oh yeah, more sales training, more sales training. Oh, let's do this or let's do that. And what happens to the manager, the leaders, they're in the back of the room or they're declining the calls because they're not invested. And so for them showing up shows this is important to me. And not only is it important to me, but I'm your manager, I'm your leader, I'm the CEO, but I'm still showing up to this call, right? Because I want to learn and having that lifelong learning, right? Really understanding that we're not like a finite being or a finite person in our development that we continually have to learn new skills. And as a team, we're good. Because when one person on the team does wrong, or when one person on the team goes and vomits product knowledge, that one person they're talking to tells what, 10 of their friends, <laughs> but the one that's doing it right, they tell one person and it stays there. So as a unit, as a company, we have to get stronger. Yeah, and I love that it starts with leadership setting a direction. And I just want to add one thing to what you said is this is not about, I mean, look, I was raised an academic. I love to learn. As a revenue leader, I don't spend time learning about my buyers because I just want to be touchy-feely. Right. I spend time learning about my buyers because I close more quicker at higher dollar values and I expand quicker. Mm -hmm. And I've written a whole book to, with 20 case studies about how this works. But the reason to be authentic is we will win a lot faster when we, as you said, the whole goal of discovery is why are they on that call? Mm. What problem can I solve for them? Continually bringing them back to that. And so the reason to be authentic, you'll enjoy your work more, but you will win faster. Yeah. And I think you get a faster yes and you get a faster no, because there are also times that it's not a good fit. This past month, there yep. were two clients. I'm like, this is just, this is not a good fit for us. For you, it's not going to be beneficial. You're not going to achieve your goals and this isn't a good fit for us. And again, when you have that authenticity and you step into your actual buyer's world, like really going, not like tiptoeing, not sprinkling, but all the way into their world and you really understand their challenges and they're like, I need to go on this journey. You're going to take me. I want you to pull me along. I was actually going to ask about your academic background coupled with what you do now, because I mean, you know, getting a PhD is no small feat, right? You got to be smart, I will say, to do that. And you get really good at researching and learning and doing all of those things. And sometimes one of the challenges with academics is, as you said, when you translate over into the corporate realm, it doesn't always go as smoothly as you've gone. So tell us a little bit about that transition you made from the academia into the corporate realm, if you will. So for me, what the academic training taught me to be really good at from a revenue leader point of view is pattern recognition, mm. right? It's just really good at how do I win by for each buyer mm. and what's the overall value prop? And so that's, I kind of trained my brain to get really good at pattern recognition or the academic training wasn't great, <laughs> was recognizing some of the things that you alluded to around the change management. 
needing to build the coalition of support, right? Needing to get all levels of buy-in that this we were going to shift. I just sort of assumed everybody looked at the world this way. And so I not only... One of my first job roles at a major dust up with the, uh, you know, like the president of the company on this point, but then through to my work with EduVentures, Tom Drettler, who is my CEO there and now is the CEO of Shorelight. I was awesome in authentic conversations externally. One of my internal colleagues called me the bulldozer. Mm. It's just... No, this is the direction we're going, right? So that was great at the pattern recognition, not as good at the, how do we build the coalition of support? And that's been, you know, I've gotten much better at that. Mm. Uh, But that was the good and the bad of being trained as an academic. Wow. A lot of times, and I don't know if that's necessarily an academic thing, but I see that a lot with um, leaders, right? It's like, the customer's important. I care about what the customer thinks, but my colleagues, maybe my subordinates, and eh, I don't, not that they don't matter as much, but you just don't have that in your mind as, hey, this is somebody I value and this is actually a customer too, right? Like you're, you're the person, if you're a salesperson, you're an operations person, that is actually a customer, right? You need to treat them like they're a customer because guess what? If they don't like you, <laughs> they will make your life so difficult and none of your stuff will get executed and all of your projects will fall through. Yes, and when I think about authentic conversations internally, this idea of you can have fit or not, one of the things with our early growth companies, we have three buckets of segments we work with, and the early growth companies would be kind of in the, you know, call it two to seven, eight million in revenue. More and more of the work I do with CEOs, it's like you got to set the vision for growth, and if people aren't a good fit at that stage, that's okay. Their why has to align with your why. Too often I see people can just focus on consensus building, which kind of mutes the message. And so I think even internally, you have to listen, get people's buy-in to the message, but you have to start with a direction. Yeah. And when you think about the message and the people that you have on the boat, if you will, a lot of times people are trying to shift that why or shift the vision to the actual people that you have. And I'm like, no, what is the person you need in this position? What do you need them to do? And then you figure out, is this the right person for this position? It doesn't mean that they won't be with the company. Maybe they'll be in a different position because what you need at this point in the company, it's not aligned. Yeah. Love that. So tell me, you mentioned that you wrote a book. Talk to us about your book. Yeah, the book is called The Revenue Acceleration Playbook. The subtitle is Creating an Authentic Buyer Journey Across Sales, Marketing, and Customer Success. And so it it really was 20 years in the making because I was 13 years as a revenue leader and seven years as a consultant. It was the first time I actually wrote down what I had been doing Mm. as a revenue leader and consultant. And so it very much a playbook focus right? This idea of how do you get organizational alignment? You start with value plays Mm. and content pathways, but then the book kind of goes through team by team. How does this apply to our prospecting team? How does it apply to the sales team? How does it apply to the land and expand motion, which cuts across a couple of teams? How does it expand to the customer success organization? And now it's really about how do you take those value plays and in every buyer and customer interaction, re-anchor on their why. Mm. Bringing it back to, you know, as you did in the proposal, bringing it back to why they're talking to you, why they're doing a first call, why they're doing a second call, why they're talking about closing with you, what they might be talking about doing next with you. And so we think we are talking more and more about 
don't focus on sales skills, focus on sales skills in the context of go to market skills, because we should all be running authentic conversations at different depths. But even your prospectors, good prospectors invite a conversation, right? They ask questions, they share success stories, good salespeople, you know, deepen that conversation, get to an initial close, good customer success people. They're not selling, but they're surfacing new ways to work together through a habit of discovery. Mm. What else could we be worth? This is our initial success. So we're having success with, are there, these are other problems we solve for, are there other areas we could be working on? So your idea of, an, there's an initial proposal, there's follow-on, but it all comes back to why are you on the phone with me? Mm. What am I helping you accomplish? How am I making your future more successful? So I really like what your, your whole basis of your book, because it, it brings me back to, um, I think it's Simon Sinek. Yeah, start with why. The book, start with why, right? And I, I remember when I read that book, I was like, ah. Oh. This is good because a lot of times some people start with the how or the what. But if you start with the why, the why helps you understand from all phases of the organization. Again, to the person answering the phone, to the person fulfilling the order, to the person making sure that they're collecting payments, that we are aligned as a company. And when you have alignment as the company, that helps, like you said, it just accelerates your revenue to 10, 20, 100 fold. Yep. Start and continue on the why every conversation and you will have that outcome. There's uh, another way of saying what you said, Dave, I was fortunate to have David Meerman Scott as my book coach for this book. And, you know, he's been saying for years, nobody cares about your product. Mm. Nobody cares about your product. And then we still show up and vomit our product. What they care about is what does your product do for them? So to your point, I mean, and that's the whole point of the book is if you come back to your buyer, why in every interaction, you will grow faster. So I take that nobody cares about your price. I say nobody cares about you. Like, so I actually say nobody cares about you. Your parents care about you, your spouse, your kids, your aunt, your cousin, but your customer, your buyer, they don't care about you. They mm. care about themselves. And they mm. care about the problem that they have and how you can help them achieve that success. 100%. So question for you. Tell me about yeah. something in your life that you are most excited about accomplishing either personally or professionally. And can that be future looking in the next six months? Absolutely. So I have been doing karate with my kids now for probably eight years, seven or eight years. And my son and I this fall will test for, he will test for his first degree adult black belt. And I'll test for my second degree adult black belt. And so training with him and the idea of testing with him is, feels awesome. It's been a great journey for all of us. That's amazing. That's amazing. Fatherhood and not just, you know, being a parent, but actually being present and doing something that your kids enjoy, right? So stepping into their world. <laughs> they do karate because I asked them to, but I, I, <laughs> I don't know that they would do it otherwise. But I do. I think your point is really well taken as they've gotten older. I've tried to figure out what their interests are. And how I can align to it. So we just had a great family trip to Ireland and Scotland and my son loves hiking. Mm. So went on a couple of hikes with him and that was just awesome time because he was in his zone. And so I love that. It's a great, it's the right direction, you know, figure out what they care about and, and be supportive of that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Brent, this has been a wonderful conversation. I really enjoyed, you know, connecting on that authentic conversation and surrounding yourself with the why, right? The mm -hmm. company's why and stepping into the buyer's world. 
Yeah, no, I loved it. It's always awesome, Wesleyan, to talk with like-minded revenue leaders. There's more and more of us that think this way, but we're still the minority, a growing minority, which is a good thing. So I really appreciated the conversation. And if people want to get in contact with you, what is the one best way? They could just go to the website, authenticitywins.com which will bring them right to our book landing page on our homepage, or they can email me at bkeltner at winalytics.com. I'm happy to take questions and often do after podcasts. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for sharing your time, your talent, and your expertise with our audience. Yeah, thank you, Wesleyan. Really enjoyed the conversation. And that was another episode of The Science of Selling STEM. And remember, in all that you do, transform your sales. Until next time. Thank you for joining us today on the Snack-Sized Sales Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and leave us a review. Learn how to continue increasing your bottom line by getting simplified sales strategies delivered to your inbox weekly by going to www.snacksizedsales.com. Trust me, your bank account will grow and love you.